Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It's really good to be together this morning. We are plowing ahead. We're ending chapter 3 of our Galatians series this morning. Uh, if you've been with us, we are doing a series through the book of Galatians. And as and underneath the heading, Jesus plus nothing. We're going to be pressing on with it next week Sunday. Before I get to that, uh, Shelley mentioned we've got Adrian Quinlivan. The name might mean nothing to you. He was the guy who traveled with Rory Dyer. When Rory was here... Uh, about a month and a bit ago. He's on staff there at 3CR. He's an exceptional preacher and he's coming to minister at Tableview AM and Milliton next week Sunday. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be a phenomenal morning and I believe he's going to be able to put courage in us. So I know it's the beginning of school holidays, but let's really, let's get together for that. It's going to be a key moment for us. So Adrian Quinlivan, a great friend from 3CI. It's going to be a special time. But for the series, just a brief bit of context. If you have been missing or you want to just be Brought up to speed. The book of Galatians is basically six chapters of Paul fighting for the freedom of the church in Galatia and subsequently fighting for our freedom here today in the church in Cape Town. Paul is fighting for our freedom because what happens is so often we get saved and then we ask these questions. Maybe you're asking some of these questions. How do I get really free? How do I, how do I get blessing? How, how do I, how do I get breakthrough? How do I please God? Paul says all these questions are, can be simply answered one way, through Jesus and Jesus alone. You want freedom? You want blessing? You want breakthrough? You want to please God? There's no other way except through Jesus Christ alone and holding on to Him. Paul is doing that. He's saying that what we've brought into is not a faith of ifs and buts, but rather a faith and a covenant of promises from God to us. I don't know about you, but religion gets us making a lot of promises to God. God, I promise I'll try harder. If you just, just God, if I do this, please, can you do this for me? Religion gets us doing that. But Paul is telling us that actually the gospel says that the, it's, the begins and ends with God making promises to you and I. And we have to learn to believe these promises. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to read scripture. It's the last time I'm going to get you to stand this morning. I'm so, so sorry. We're going to read. We stand when we read scripture. So it's on the screen, it's a few verses from Galatians chapter 3, we're ending that chapter this morning. It says this, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. But now, can you say but now? But now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Can you say united with Christ? You guys are good. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you that you are here this morning and you are here to strengthen and to encourage us through your word and your Holy Spirit. I pray now as a people we choose to lean into you knowing that you're already leaning into us. I thank you, God, that you're not at an arm's length away, but you're here, present, 
with us. We believe that and we, we lean into that now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. It's really, really cool to be together. This morning there's two imperatives from this text, if I can just dive right in it, into it. This landing of chapter three, there's two imperatives. I made you say both of them. The first one is the shift in the language. Next time I preach, which will be in two weeks time, we'll look at the law in detail and we'll say, what is the purpose of the law? We'll understand grace and law in fullness. But for today, the shift happens where he's talking about what the law does and there comes this hinge verse where he says, but now. If you ever see those words in scripture saying, but now, underline it because it's saying something important has happened. A big change has happened that we need to address and lean into. Because I believe so often as Christians, we live in this one day when. But one day when, I'll, I'll be, I'll get better. I'll get better than that. Or one day when I die, then life will be great with Jesus. An eternity. But the scripture here says, no, but now. What do you do with that when he says, but now? Because I think too many Christians live with a, but I was reality. But I was a sinner. But I was an addict. But I was a, a, a drunkard. But I was a reprobate. But I was somebody who was always angry. And what happens when we hold on to that as our language, but I was, we lean into swamp living. We've mentioned these words as we go. Swamp, licentious living. We're just, it's actually, we elevate our sin above everything else. It's actually Jesus plus my sin. But I was. On the other side, there's a lot of Christians who live with this and it comes out of their mouth and say, but maybe in the future I will be. If I just try harder, I will be a better person. If I just get my life in order, I'm going to become fruitful. When I Just give me a bit of time and then I will count for God. But when I was, and actually you know what, when I was and but I will be, this, will, this one lets us slip into a cage of legalism. Where we confine ourselves and we say that I'm gonna, my future will be determined by my efforts. So we're saying Jesus plus my efforts lead to something. But the scripture here says this, but now. And I today, my job is to convince you of the but now reality of our position in Christ, which changes everything. Which changes the equation of Jesus plus sin or Jesus plus my efforts to Jesus plus nothing. And when we understand the but now reality of our position in Christ, We'll start to walk this out different. Everyone okay with that? Great. Thank you so much. You guys are amazing. Because what happened was, the, the next thing, I, the other thing, I'll land us in these positional elements now. But I said, you were united, but now you've been united with Christ. And he goes on to say, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. And a lot of times, I think when we read that, and I read that many times, I had Michael Jackson's We Are the World playing in the background. As if Paul was now saying, we are the world, hold hands with someone different than you, and saying, we've been united in Christ. As if it's this element of, don't worry about your differences. Well, actually what Paul is saying there is, yes, it does lead to that, but that's not what he's saying. He's saying that we actually find our united nature together, not because we sing the same songs, or because we look the same, or we act the same, or we've learned to do the same. Why? Because the Judaizers who were attacking the book, uh, the, the, the Galatian church, they were trying to do that. They were saying, you guys are Christians, but you don't do this, you don't circumcise, you don't obey the Ten Commandments, you don't, you don't live by the law. Actually, you've got to look a lot more like us so we can be one. And that's what people do. They often will come and say, cool, you've got to actually do a few things so we can all look the same as Christians. When Christ's going, no, no, it's not about your outward expression. It's about your inward belief in Jesus that makes you one. 
That's what he's driving at in this book and this, this chapter today. So I want to help us understand what it means for you as an individual and all of us together when he, Paul says this Trump verse at the end of chapter 3 says, you have been united with Christ. For too long, I think we as a church skip over that verse. Wow, there's power in this verse. There's so much power. It's the doctrine of union. And it's something that has actually been forgotten because it almost sounds mystical. It almost sounds like, what does that mean? Because we live in this one day when reality, we've forgotten the but now reality, what Jesus has done for you and I. We're going to get there. So for you and I this morning, being united with Christ is four key elements. If you're taking notes, I love you to write these down. If you've got a phone, get them out because you've got to, you've got to get this. This is so good. It's too good to be, to be true, but it is true. So you've got to write it down. Everyone okay? You ready for this? Are you ready for this? Why this is key before we get to these four things is that we believe that right believing leads to right behaving. Religion says behave right, and then we'll sort out your belief system as we go. But we believe that actually if we believe right, we'll start to manifest the fruit of the Spirit by how we believe. So Paul is stressing this again, that the but now reality of this, and freedom is in this reality not in your pursuit of freedom. So here's the first one. Our union with Christ means this in four ways. Let's understand. When he says you've been united with Christ, the first element you can put in there is this, that we have been united with Christ. We are with Christ. This is huge. Because all through the Old Testament, the reality of the people and their relationship with God was measured in by them being able, being in close proximity to God. So the, what I mean by this, the Old Testament had stories of the Israelite nation being led out and the, the, the sign that God was with them was in a physical expression of, that was outside of them of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So by, by that notion, they knew God is with us. If we see the cloud, God is with us. If we see the fire, God is with us. As they moved on and became a community, what they did was they, they had a thing called the tabernacle. And they had to carry the tabernacle around, and it, God said, I will dwell in the tabernacle. So where the tabernacle is, you guys build, you, you put the tabernacle in the, the center of your people, so that means that God is with you. What happened would go on, after the tabernacle, they built, David built a, 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 the temple. Solomon finished the temple, and what they did was, they said in the very middle of it, in the holy of holies, not the outer, not the inner, but the holy of holies, God will dwell in there. And the nation, what they would do to be near God, would they build their city around the temple. And they would, so they would watch and they'd say, God is here if, because a temple's here. So they would say, they would liken their relationship to God to being geographically close to God. So if you've been in church, you would have heard this word, the Shekinah glory. Anyone ever heard of that? Shekinah, who's actually a backup dancer for, for Beyonce. Just joking. Shekinah. No, it's a word that was used in the, in the Old Testament. So when they saw that the glory of God come, or the cloud by day, or the, the, the tabernacle, they'll see that the God was there. They knew that He was there. They'll say, that's the Shekinah glory. What does Shekinah actually mean? If you want to understand what that means, and let's demystify this a little bit. It means this. It means that God is my neighbor. So they were so excited when God would come close, because they'll go, God is my neighbor. Adriano's my neighbor. That's exciting enough. But imagine having God as your neighbor. That was like amazing. The Shekinah glory. So people in the old covenant were so excited saying, if we pray hard enough, if we live good enough, if we do well, if we obey the right things, God will be our neighbor and be pleased and he'll be with God. We'll be with God. <gasps> exciting. But here's the amazing thing. The but now reality kicks in for you and I. 
is that Jesus comes and he's told, we're told that his name is not Shekinah. God is my neighbor. We're told his name is Emmanuel. God with us. And he shifts the whole understanding of not God is my neighbor to being God is my resident. This is the true glory. Why settle for his former glory? God is nearby when you can have God as my resident. Adriano is not just next door. He's moved in. That's what happened. The shift happens. The old was God is close, but this is the new seed covenant says God is in you. God is with you. God is with you always in this reality. So much so Jesus said with confidence and he was not joking. He was not putting a hallmark Christian greeting card at the back saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It wasn't a polite way to end the prayer. It was a promise to you and I as Christians who believe that God is with us. Emmanuel, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Oh, that's so good. So much so Jesus said again, he said, I'll be with you even to the very end. You see, what happens is the old covenant, God is making promises to God saying that we will stay close to you. So the nation of Israel was blessed if they followed the cloud by day, if they followed the cloud by night, if they came and they had the tabernacle in the middle and they kept close to it and watched when the tabernacle moved, they moved. And when the temple was there, they moved their whole house around the temple because they said, God, we're going to make promises to stay close to you. That's the old. The new does this. The new says this. I'm going to promise to stay with you. Jesus says, I'm going to promise to stay with you. Where you go, I go. Jesus says, I will never leave you. God with us, because we are united with Christ. Mm. I've got a few mm's at the, at the front, but I thought it was deeper than that. Shekinah, Emmanuel. We're an Emmanuel people. You see how much so that actually the Bible tells in Ephesians that we, when Christ died, we died with him. Then Ephesians tells us that when he raised to life, we were raised to life with him. This is mystical. This means that you and I, the old spirit man, died with Christ, and we've been raised to life with Christ. This is huge. We're together. We're connected. Number one, our union with Christ means that we are with Christ. Number two this morning, in our understanding that we've been united with Christ, is the second element is that we have been made like Christ. We are like Christ. This can sound like blasphemy at first. But let me help unpack it, is that the Bible tells us that we've been given, part of our inheritance allotted from the very beginning, we've been given the mind of Christ. Wow. What does it mean? It's huge. The Bible tells us again that we've been given His very nature. You know what? When you, when you die, when you, when you gave your life to Jesus, you were given the Holy Spirit. Do you, do, do you believe that? You were given the Holy Spirit. Here's a good thing. You'll never be given another one. Think about it for a second. The Holy Spirit you've got now is with you till eternity and kingdom come. And when kingdom comes, even further. There's not going to be an upgrade, not going, oh, that was good enough for earth. No, no, the Spirit of God you've got that seals you for salvation is the Holy Spirit you've got till forever. That's huge. The deposit of eternity has been placed inside of you and I. And this has made us like Him. You know what? I think that we have to understand this. You say, but Gabe, the Bible tells us that we, the renewing of our mind, we're becoming more and more like Christ. I agree. But where does that start? We've understanding that we work from being made like Him into more of His likeness. We, if we don't work from being totally different, because if we're working from a place of, I'm going to try harder, we'll never become like Him. 
He's given us everything we need to become like him and become more like him and more like him as we walk this out. Do you know why this is huge? And why there's a man named Charles Spurgeon. He was a preacher and he preached, uh, and he was a prince of preachers. He used to preach these amazing messages of who people were on the doctrine of union, who they were in Christ, being made like Christ. And he preached it week in and week out. And, uh, and he was a young man and an older, well-meaning gentleman came up to him at the end of one service and put his arm around him and said, young man, I love your passion. You know, you're going to be set up for a punch when someone says, I love your passion, but... Why do you say the same things every week? And Charles looked at him and said, Sir, because you forget every week. We have to be reminded of this because our very nature wants to pull us into effort. Our very nature wants to get us working for the pleasure of God when actually we work from the pleasure of God. We work from His nature. You know what? The Bible says the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, I am a new creation. It's not hinting at something to come. It's a hinting of something that's but now been done. You were old. You have been made new. Done. The amazing thing, the Greek, the, there's two options you can use for the word new. The one Greek word is neos. The old is gone. The neos has come, which means the upgrade. And we are well familiar with upgrades. You had the iPhone 5. The old is gone and the new has come. You've got an iPhone 7. It's exciting. It's like just a slightly better version of what we once had. Many Christians live like that. The old is go- gone. The slightly better has come. I don't swear as much. I go, how low a standard are we living here? When we've been united with Christ. We've been made like him. Because the real Greek word is not neos. They use the word kairos. The old is gone. The kairos had come. And what does that translate? Translates this in Gabe Phillips' language. Brand spanking, never seen before, new. The old has gone. The liar, the porn addict, the the, the angry Gabe has gone. God said, I've raised a new nature. It's Christ-like nature. The new has come. Stop believing the gospel. The gospel is not a transaction for a future date. It's for a but now reality because it changes everything. Right believing leads to right behavior. Thank you. Thirdly, today we've been... Made with Christ, we like Christ. Thirdly, we are in Christ. We are in Christ. Paul labels, as it said, said over 150 times in the New Testament, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is a huge thing for Paul, the author of this book, in Christ. And for to me, help explain it, we'll have to do a whole preach on this. But for time's sake, too often I think we live in the reality. We pray, and I know it. I go, I say prayers like this: In Christ, there is strength. And we all agree. It's true. Makes sense. In Christ. So in Him, there is strength. In Christ, there is joy. In Christ, there is peace. The problem is, I think none of us will disagree with that. We'll say, in Him is that the problem is a lot of us go, how do I get it out of Christ? So we live trying to, the religion sells us, books sell, in Christian bookstores, they'll, they'll sell hundreds of copies on how you can get peace of Christ in your life. Do this, do that, do this, do this. And we have to try and get it out of Christ into our life. How do I, how to have joy? Ten chapters. How to have joy and get it out of Christ into my life. Here's the difference though. So what happened when I was growing up? We had the dream, the fantasy as a little kid that one day you would be locked inside a sweet store. No, have anyone had that dream before? So you know, as a little kid, you, you hang at the sweet from heaven's window and you're looking and going, in the shop, there are sweets. 
And it's not a lie, it's true. In the shop, there is pleasure forevermore. There's sour balls, there's gobstoppers, there's chocolates. It's going to be amazing. In the shop, there's exciting things. But how am I going to get it? I've got no money. I've got a big borrow steel. But we had that dream that one day we'd be in the shop and we'll, be, we'll just be browsing and they'll say, closing for the night, you hear the lock and the alarm. We're like, I'm in the store. And panic would give way and suddenly you realize I'm in the store. And the whole night, the place where there was joy, you're in there as well. You can take anything. Reggie's rush all night. Silly example, but this is the understanding that not only is there in, in Christ there is joy, here's the difference that we, when we get united with Christ, we get placed in Christ. In the store, we get locked in. So in Christ there's joy, so in Christ there is joy. It's in who I am. It's in who I have been called to be in Him. Mind-blowing. Not trying to reach in and get it from without of Him and realize He's been put in me. This is huge. Hopefully you'll go think about this at home. (laughs) Change the way you live. With Christ, like Christ, in Christ, and finally this morning is Christ in us. We've been placed in Christ, but also Christ has been placed in us. This is not semantics. This is the four notions of union that is theologically accepted around around the world. And in church history, that we have to understand these four realities of being united with Christ. Understanding the Christ in us. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus 33, there's a story of Moses, who was a man who knew God, God's heart, who communed with God face to face. And, and this amazing moment where God said, Moses said, God, let me show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said this, he said, okay, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. I'll hide you in a rock, and, I'll, and so you can't see my face, because if you see my face, you'll die. I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. So you see the word here for glory. So Moses says, show me your glory. Shekinah, show me the, the reality of it come passing by. He says, show me your glory. He says, that word there can be translated kabod, K-A-B-O-D. Kabod. Sounds like something heavy falling off a shelf. Kabod. And that's just exactly what it is. Kabod, glory, when he said, when God said, I'm going to let my goodness, he says, let me show, show me your glory. He says, I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. What he was meaning there is saying, my weightiness of who I am. The weight, the kabod means the weight of character. So he says, show me your glory. God's going to say, I'm going to show you my substance of who I am, my goodness, my mercy, my kindness is going to pass before you. The weight of who God is, is going to pass before you. That's God's glory. If you want to know what God's glory is, it's Jesus Christ, his character. This is the representation of the Father. The glory is going to pass before you. Why is this huge? Because in Colossians 1 verse 20, Paul says, I want to let you in on a secret. The mystery that angels have longed to look into, that angels have wanted to see, that Moses, the people wanted to see it. He said, this is what it is, the secret. So you ready for the secret? And, and he wasn't going to them, give them a copy of that book that we did the rounds a few years ago. No, no, he was going to tell them the secret. He says, this is the secret. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. What word is used there for, to, for glory? Kabod. Christ in you, the hope of the weight of character. Let me tell you why this is huge for you and I. Is because I think too often we don't understand this doctrine of union that we are united with Christ, but now, not to come, not when I get my act together, not one day in the future, but now I live from this reality of being with Christ, like Christ, in Christ, and Christ in me. 
We live in a seesaw existence. Tell, have you tell me if this is you? It's me most some of the times because I forget this. But the thing is, you're sitting on a seesaw. You know what a seesaw is? The child's toy in a, in a playground on this side. And you're sitting here and you're down. And then you're up one day because the pressures of life get stacked against you. And then, when, and, and then you're up and then you're down. You're up and you're down. When the pressures of life come against you, when your performance lets you down, you're down, you're up. When the weight of your past pulls you down, then you're up. The fears of the future haunt you. Then you're down again. There's no consistency in your life. There's no weight of character because you're up and you're down. You're up and down. When addiction calls, you just give into it because you don't know where else to turn. And you say, do I go to the, my efforts? Do I go to the, what do I just give into it? And you don't think there's another option. Where Paul's saying, Jesus plus nothing. If you hold on to him and understand that you've been united with Christ, you really realize on the seesaw of this existence called life comes Christ in you, the hope of Kabod, the weight of his character. So when your character lets you down, when your circumstance lets you down, when your emotions let you down, you're not going to be up and down, up and down, because you're not holding on to those, you're holding on to his weight of character. Christ in me, the hope of glory. I think that's really good. See, morning as I land, I want to invite us into this moment to say, cool, this sounds exciting, maybe it's a bit far out there and we'll have to do work with a lot of this stuff, because this is huge. But this understanding, but now reality of being united with Christ, being, being with Christ, being like Christ, being in Christ, being Christ in us. How do I, how do I get this access? How do I get access to this great reality? I want to tell you there's only one way to get access to this union and it's through the blood of Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you this morning, it's not by the goodness of your nature. It's not by your good deeds. It's not because we are religious. It's not because of or through some mystical enlightenment. Like, this is for the real enlightened, those who renounce or let go or relax or sink into existence. Just sink into the existence of your union. No, that's not what I'm saying. I want to tell you the only way into this, this union with Christ is through the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus invites us into this union, united with Christ, and will hold us forever. It's, our, it's the gift of God, it's the God, and it's the guarantee. He's freely and fully and forever called us into this existence of being with Him, being like Him, being in Him, and Him in us. And a man named Michael Eaton, a great scholar, a great theologian who wrote many books and preached uh, around the world, who recently passed away, he shared this little anecdote once. Where he said, when I come to read the Bible some mornings, when I come to spend time with God, I come in there and I open the Word of God. And he says, as soon as I open the Word of God, the voice of the enemy starts to speak in my ear. He says, the voice of the enemy says, who do you think you are, Michael? That you can come and read the Scriptures and and engage with God. He says, Michael, you're a sinner. He says, Michael, he says, there's truth in these things. Michael, the, the enemy says, you're a sinner. The enemy says, you're a fake you're a fraud. You have no substance, Michael. I know what you did last night. I know what's the most of in your heart. I know the things that are going on. But then Michael Eaton said that he had to, he has to learn the, to understand, to apply this doctrine of union to his relationship with God because he used to say this. I'm not coming in the name of my performance. I'm not coming to God in the name of my sin. I'm not coming to God in the name of my cage. I'm trying to get God to do something for me. And I'm not coming into the, but in the name of the swamp. I am coming into God's presence by His blood. 
And that opened up the world of understanding his union with God. That we have been united with Christ. Not one day to come because they'll lead us to legalism. Not because we've been a sinner and they'll lead us to groveling. No, we come with confidence because we've been made with him, like him, in him, and Christ in us, only by the blood of Jesus. I want to tell you, sir, ma'am, this is not some high-flying theoretical thing for those who are really good at Christian. I'm good at Christianing. I'm good at doing this church thing. No, no, no. This is this, the, the, the mystery of the gospel that because God has given to us, you and I, and for too long it's remained hidden. So we live in performance and trying hard. When we actually say, give up on that, take hold of Jesus, and you get everything. I want to pray for us this morning. Let's close our eyes. I believe today is a... Almost a signal day for many people as God is wooing hearts. And there's a bit of a, uh, maybe even some of it you go, I don't fully get all this, but there's an excitement in me for, for the more of God. For the, and I've been asking the question, how do I get free? How do I get blessing? How do I get breakthrough? How do I please God? I want to tell you today the answer, sir, ma'am. Christ alone. Christ alone. We sang it earlier. Christ alone cornerstone. Weak made strong. Today I believe God is taking weak, fragile hearts and bringing strength. He's bringing wayward, sinful hearts and bringing courage. If that's you today, can you just lift your hands to Jesus? And I want to pray for us. Saying, Jesus, I, I, I want the more of you. I want to let go of me and I want to take hold of you. Father, I pray as we respond to you right now. I thank you in this place. You're convicting us of our righteousness in you. I thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in us as a community. I celebrate that you are adding new life, new people. You're adding new stories. You're putting courage in our hearts. And I pray, God, with this word, pour such courage into our hearts. Would you put fuel into our, our souls, Jesus, that we have been made with Christ, like Christ, in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. In Jesus' name we pray.